Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. We have a special guest lad today, don't we, Uncle Greg? We do. Uh, my best friend, my brother. We've known each other since probably the early 90s. We started really hanging out after, what was it, Sean? It was uh, Super Bowl 30, 96. Yeah. Something like that, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. And yes, Greg is definitely uh, a very important human being in my life. And I uh, love him to death. And we go back a long ways. Now let's tell uh, Sean Dowdell, he's the drummer of Grey Days. And Sean, tell us about Grey Days if people haven't heard of that band yet. Well, Grey Days is a band that uh, goes all the way back to 1992. Uh, myself on drums, uh, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park was the lead singer for the band. Uh, Kristen Davis is the guitar player and uh, Mace Byers is the bass player. So it's kind of a long story, but I'll give the cliff notes. Grey Days uh, basically formed in 92. We broke up in 98. We had a couple of uh, record deals, did very well regionally, and then Chester went on to Lincoln Park fame. We tried to put the band uh, back together a couple times over the subsequent uh, uh, years, and then we finally did uh, put the band back together in 2016, and this was the last project that Chester was working on uh, prior to him passing away. Wow. Uh, when Chester passed away, we decided to uh, fulfill the – the, uh, the idea of completing the record we had started working on, and uh, we dropped it this year. So uh, the record is entitled Amends, and uh, it's an emotional journey that uh, we're very proud of. And I think Chester would have been very proud of it had he lived to uh, see it as well. Well, congratulations on the success. We were talking before we started uh, recording that it has hit number one on the rock charts in both the U.S. and the U.K., so that's wonderful news. Thank you. And full disclosure, I've been waiting for this album to come out in 2020. As Sean knows, I mean, he started this project, what, in 2017? And uh, I had a front row seat watching it come together. Uh, so it's probably going to be on my list. I'm just saying that, full disclosure. But I've lived with all these songs since, what was it, Sean? Probably 93, 4? Yeah, we did a radio interview with you in 94. You and I didn't become friends till that Super Bowl party, but... Uh, our first radio interview. And then I have uh, something really cool to talk about too, that that very first radio interview we've included on our new album EP stripped. That January. So uh, Greg, you'll be, you'll be on that. I don't know if I had told you that or, yet or not. Uh, well, we talked about it. Yes. A couple of weeks ago. And I said, whatever you need me to sign, just you know, I'll sign it off. But I'm, but for people who think I sound like a dope on this podcast, wait till you hear me on the radio in 1994. Oh, you're going to really enjoy it. Me as oh, well. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, my experience is a little different because although I didn't live under a rock, I knew who Lincoln Park was. I knew who Chester Bennington was, but 
admittedly, it was very far outside of my musical world. So in preparation for you being on the show, I did have a chance to listen to amends. And there was a, there was a couple things that struck me about this record. First of all, was how raw and emotional the lyrics and vocals were. And you could sense a very real torment and pain, but there always seemed to be an undercurrent of hope and optimism. So obviously not an easy balance to achieve. So it's my understanding that you and Chester co-wrote the lyrics, right? Yeah, just about all the songs, we wrote them together. There's a few that he wrote entirely on his own, and there's a, a couple that I wrote entirely on, on my own. But uh, we generally collaborated on almost all of the lyrics for the for the songs. So stylistically, how were you different and how are you similar? I think I was a little bit more linear. Um, he, he used a lot of metaphor the way when he wrote and then but we both kind of dived in to the dark side of emotions. That's where we really were able to communicate lyrically together and and come up with something special as we both connected on that, that dark side of, of um, emotions and, and brought it to life in the music. Cool. You're a fantastic drummer. Thank you. The musicianship is great throughout. I, I know that it's, it's all old vocals, correct? But new music? Correct. It sounds like a young band that's bound and determined to prove themselves rather than you know, a veteran band who's reuniting. So did that whole creative process of, of pulling in the old vocals, did that somehow put you into that headspace of being, you know, that young up and coming band in the nineties? Um, I think our professionalism was definitely, um, you know, years in the making at this point when we finally got to reattack it. But I think what you're hearing is that raw emotion that Chester is able to portray you know, it doesn't sound naive or it doesn't sound inexperienced to me, at least to me, I don't, I don't get that. But at the same time, you do get that innocent impression from him as he's singing, but you also get that young angst that you come to love and know Chester for most of his fans that really comes through. And I also think we did something very special in the way we were able to approach this is we, in my opinion, of course, I'm biased, but in my opinion, I think we made it sound very relevant and very modern. And our goal was to make it sound like this was something that Chester did last week. Yeah. And I think uh, there are a lot of moments on the record where it does sound like that. I get a lot of a lot of people that will walk up and say, "There's no way this was, you know, recorded in 1997." Uh, he this sounds like he did it last week, and I said that. Then we did our job. Then right. exactly what we were shooting for. I wouldn't have known any better if I hadn't done my homework. Well, here, here's the thing, too. I, I think that with Chester's vocals was that it was a young band at the time and they didn't know the consequences. You know, when like you have nothing to lose and all of the lyrics on Immense, they're just emotionally honest. And there wasn't any like, oh, if I write this song, it's going to make me vulnerable. And then there's going to be these consequences. I think that a lot of these songs that you hear Chester uh, and Sean writing is that when they wrote these, they they didn't know the consequences of what may or may not be. Or if I say this, it might make this person upset or that. And so it was just raw. It's emotionally honest. And I think that's why it connects and why it's such an awesome, awesome album. Thank you. I think Chester had an ability to give you that deliverance with any any lyric. He didn't really have shame or embarrassment when he was on that stage he just uh, he rose above those those um 
those feelings and where I could never get up and sing Lottie Dum, Lottie Dum in front of <laughs> a thousand people. He could do it and he could do it and make it look cool. Just a gift he had. Well, I remember those big shows that we did. Remember those in like 97 and 98? We would do these showcases for Grey Days and we would get, what, 2,000 people? I mean, the record labels were going nuts because they couldn't believe. Like a lot of times these you know national touring bands would come in and they would call Grey Days to open for them because they knew that they would draw couple thousand people to the show so it looks like there's people there and we, we would i mean sean would fill these clubs that were just i mean i've i've seen it before where great days would leave the stage and so would the the, the crowd would leave and then that national band would be there wow. playing in like a half full sean you remember all that <laughs> i do i mean you know it's not not to my credit but the band definitely uh, you know we had a fall and we, we we definitely were doing quite well the last couple of years we were playing out there and greg and i partnered up and did some really, really big promotions and just, you know, blew the, blew the roof off some of these clubs that we were playing. And, and Greg's right. We would have these, these record labels come out and they just could not understand how we were able to draw that many people. Um, but at the same time, you know, you had other bands at the time that just prior to us bands like the refreshments who were doing it, they were, they were selling out the same club, mm -hmm. yep. uh, the funk junkies, same thing. So was not like we were the first band to do it in Arizona. There was there was a couple other bands at the time that, and then they were on their their way to success at the time as well. So I think we were just you know on that same train, watching what those guys were doing and kind of replicating it and doing it in our own way. But I think it, it makes it a lot easier for record labels to want to take a chance on you when they see that everybody is invested into what you're doing already. So it's not as much of a building process if they walk in and the house is half built, so to speak. But I, I remember playing with bands like, you know, Seven Mary Three, and we would draw 1,500, 1,600 people. And we got off the stage, and exactly what Greg just described happened. You know, <laughs> left, and, you know, we're, you know, signing autographs for two hours, and they come up to us after we play, and they're like, who are you guys? <laughs> so that happened a lot, and it's something I'm quite proud of. Wow. And when you guys started, you were all teenagers, right? Yeah, you know, when we started, Chester was 15. Um, I was 17. Um, you know, going, just, just going into young adulthood really. And, and we just kind of grew up together. Um, you know, Chester, he left high school, I believe when he was a sophomore, uh, I was in college, but he would come to college with me and, and, uh, and stay with me. And, and we just, we just really, we were one of those bands that we were always practicing. We were always at the studio. It was where we hung out. It was where our, our social life was. If we weren't playing in a club, we were rehearsing, throwing a party at our studio. Um, you know, we weren't quite um, doing what Molly Crew was doing, but that, you know, in a very similar mentality, we just had that we were going to make it, um, or, you know, it's like a game. We're going to make it or die type thing. And, and yeah. that's really our attitude back in the day. And I think that's how we ended up becoming such good writers, is we spent so much time together. Um, not only interpersonal relationship, but at the studio actually practicing. So, and writing your art. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. The best bands. That's for sure. So the life of the band was really what about 92 to 98. Okay. Yep. And then uh, 2016, we decided to put the band back together and we started working with a producer and working on uh, re-recording some of these tracks. We had a, uh, our our big reunion show already booked. It was supposed to be September 20th of 2017, and um, started rehearsals and all that stuff. And 
and the, the wheels were on the tracks to get it moving again. And, and then of course, you know, Chester ended up passing away. So uh, we just, we had to hit the brakes and just kind of rethink everything. And, and uh, that's how we ended up on the path to where we're at today with it. Had you ridden anything new at the time of his passing? So Chester had written, I want to say it was five, five songs that we were supposed to start uh, working on. So a lot of people don't know this, but we were, Chester was in uh, Sedona with his family a couple of days prior, the day prior to his passing. Uh, he was supposed to fly back to LA to do a, a, a TV commercial. And then he was going to fly back down to Phoenix and meet his family down there. We were supposed to start rehearsals that Sunday um, for, for all of this. And, uh, it just didn't happen. So uh, he had written some stuff. We had not gotten to sit as a band to, to finish those new songs, but somewhere out there, he's got those, those four songs, five songs uh, recorded for, for gray days. So there's still a chance that we will see more material from gray days. Oh yeah. We're working on a new album right now. We have at least enough material for one more record. So, and, and, and if not a little bit more now, we'll have to see what happens, but we have it for sure, we have at least one more record coming out. That's great. And do you see yourself when the world finally wakes up again, returning to the stage, maybe guest singers or a new singer or anything? Or I, you know, that's I get that question a lot. I, I don't see that happening unless the only way the band would want to play live is is to keep Chester as the front person, and that's really a difficult thing to try to pull off. So we would have to do some type of digital media. Uh, some screens. We would have guest singers, but we wouldn't want to replace him. So, you know, we're just going back and forth on how to do this the right way to where first and foremost, it doesn't jeopardize the integrity of the music of what we're doing live. Secondly, it doesn't jeopardize our respect and love for Chester as our friend and band member. And then third, it doesn't come off cheesy. So I was a huge Dio fan. And then seeing what they did with the hologram for him, it just didn't work for me and that's yeah i understand why they did it and i'm not i'm not trying to put them down it just doesn't work for me i wouldn't want to be a drummer on that stage it just wouldn't it wouldn't work for me visually you know unless that technology got a whole hell of a lot better or you could do something different with it with the led screens and and do something that way Um, but it would have to be really respectful and not cheesy now obviously you and you and chester were very close you guys shared a very deep friendship relationship business partnership and club tattoo what's the side of chester that you wish more people knew oh a sense of humor man he had one of the dumbest funnest (laughs) silliest just outlandish sense of humor um of almost anybody i know he and he was really generous a lot of people don't realize how much he gave back to the community and i don't think that that's talked about enough about what a generous human being he was. Well, Sean, you were on that one podcast. I think it was uh, before the album came out and you were with um, God, who the guy who does the tattoo show and he was in Jane's addiction. Can't think of his name. Oh, right yeah, Dave Navarro, Dave Navarro, Dave wow. Navarro was talking about Chester and how generous he was talking about, they were doing some charity show and this, and this is so Chester Chester always had a smile on his face, always made sure that people around him were happy and having a good time. Like exactly what the lead singer of one of the biggest bands in the world would never be. Like he was always worried about other people and not like me, me, why, you know, but Dave Navarro told this story that they were doing some charity show 
and talking about Chester and how he was always giving. And of course, Chester's the lead singer during this show, but he's the one who's tearing down and helping the roadies get the equipment off the stage type of thing. And if that doesn't tell you how Chester is, that was Chester never looked at himself as I'm a rock star. Chester looked at himself as I'm Chester and I'm your friend. Chester was really the world's sweetest, nicest guy who was always happy. And I think that's the bitch about depression is that it, it's not like people who are depressed are always down in the dumps and no boo hoo. Um, Cause Chester was mostly always happy. It seemed Sean. I mean, would you agree with that? 100%. He was yeah. almost always in a good mood. Um, I caught him a few times where he was having his downs, but you know, he caught me more in down mode far many more times than I ever caught him. So uh, it was a surprise to many of us closest to him. Yeah, because you and you and Chester were like brothers. I mean, you played the older brother role, and he had the younger brother role. And yeah, that really was the dynamic in, in our relationship. Is he, he was he was my little brother, and and I just you know took care of him and made sure he was okay. And it's we used to just joke about that even as adults. He'd be like, you know, nope, nobody nobody looks out for me like you do. You're always still trying to make sure that I'm protected and it, and it just came natural. I think, I think when I met him at 15, he just, he seemed like he needed that bigger brother in his life. And it just fit. The role felt comfortable for me. Right. Yeah. Well, it's really special that you're able to continue and, you know, even rekindle that relationship musically towards the end of his life. So it was healing. It was yeah. really healing for me and the rest of the guys. It became cathartic. The process, Greg, you were there for a couple of days. Yeah. Brought him out to the studio out in LA for uh, I think it was B12 that we were recording, and I think Greg got a sense of what it was like for us as band members to go through the process of uh, of grieving through playing music with him because he was there, even though he wasn't there physically. You had this impression in the studio that he was with us the whole time because wow. you know we had these outtakes and this stuff on the on the on these reels where he was laughing and telling jokes and we were just reliving stories so. It felt like he was with us the whole time and uh, became quite healing, like I said. Yeah, you really felt that because when I was, I was there, uh, I think right before Monkey and uh, Head from Corn came into the studio like the day before when you guys were working on, uh, was it B12 or which song are, are those two guys on? Those guys are on B12. So if B12. you were there the day before, it was it was yeah. probably not that one. It was might have been something else. But regardless, I know I know it was special for you to be there and and – it was really cool. We had this, you know, little portrait of Chester on the recording console. We made sure that that was our our number one um, thing when we were there. Is that we recognized that this was about our friend and for our friend, and making sure that we were doing it for all the right reasons. And I think you did, especially the the legacy of Chester. I think just go on YouTube and you can play any of the songs. Uh, What's in an eye, soul. Uh, song, all these songs that you could play in the videos and you could see all these comments from around the world of people just gushing over these songs and and saying how much that they mean to them and how much Chester meant to them. And I, it's just a different side that you saw of Chester. I think a lot of people with Linkin Park 
um, you know, when he then was doing Linkin Park and was doing some other bands, I think that's when people said, okay, well, is, you know, cause he was, he, he, he was the voice of a generation and this was a whole different side of Chester that people got to know with the men's and gray days. Yeah. Well, watching some of the videos too, and looking at the comments, you're absolutely right, Greg. Uh, you know, there's so many comments from people that said, you know, Hey, I was, I was bullied. I was an outcast at school. And, you know, his voice and his lyrics, they they spoke to me and they helped me through some really tough times. And that's that's an insanely difficult and very powerful thing to be able to do as a musician or an artist of any kind. Well, yeah, Sean and I have talked about this before. And Sean, you could comment on this. But basically, the 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 thing about um, Chester was that he like people who didn't know how to express their feelings, who kept it bottled up, they could listen to Chester and Chester's lyrics and the way he sang them and his emotional honesty, they could say, that's how I feel. They could finally go, oh, that's how I feel and feel connected to another human being or connected to a group of people or be connected to a band and feel like they're not alone. And that was what was really special about Chester and a lot of his music. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the gift, the, quite simply, the gift that Chester had was he had the ability for the listener to be able to express their emotions through what Chester was saying and they could connect with him. That's why when Chester passed away, so many people came out and felt like they knew him. They, they had never met him, never talked to him, but they felt like they knew him. And it was through his emotional honesty that, that came through in the music that, that made that possible. And uh, that was to me Chester's largest gift musically. Absolutely. Sean, much like the legendary DJ Murray the K was considered the fifth Beatle, do you consider Uncle Greg the fifth Great A's? <laughs> no, he's no, not the fifth Great A's, but he he's very special, and he has a very historically significant place in the Great A's story because Greg was not only um, one of the most you know, one of the biggest supporters locally with, with uh, the edge. And he helped get a couple of our songs on the radio, but Greg was the very first DJ to play great A's. And of course the uh, through great A's first DJ to play Chester anywhere in the world. Wow. That's wow. A pretty special thing. Um, considering, you know, Chester's sold over a hundred million records and, yeah, and uh, you know, just about everybody in the world has heard, heard Chester. Greg was the very first person to play him. And that, that is a really cool thing. You know, I don't think Greg um, is considered the fifth member of Great A's because he doesn't play an instrument. And that that would kind of, I guess that would be a prerequisite for me to think of him in that way. But he is, he's like, I don't know, he was just always around and always. I'm kind of like a roadie. Nah, I was the roadie. Bigger than that. Better a roadie than a group. I cleaned great. up the barf. Yeah, something like that. Or even though he wasn't a manager, I would say he he, he carried that. He carried that respect from the band members, like a manager, like your band manager would. Like he was always around, and we respected him and wanted him around. He wasn't a hang around. He wasn't a groupie. It wasn't that. It was like we wanted to be around him and hang out with him. He gave us good advice and helped us do do things. So I would put it more like in, as a as a as a as a more of a manager than a, than a band member. Okay. Well, I hope your groupies were better looking. <laughs> And they were yeah. <laughs> ding, ding. They were oh. acclaimed author, public speaker, humanitarian. What is it that you have not done, Sean? 
I'm getting into hand modeling soon. <laughs> uh, it's high on the list, gentlemen. All right. A drummer's <laughs> hands are, are known to be stunning. <laughs> I'm going to go George Costanza style. I'm going to wear oven mitts everywhere I go. So I <laughs> my hands. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see a lot of live music in 2020. And a lot of, I know Sean Gray Day's album was kind of supposed to come out in April, but it didn't come out until June. Uh, everything was pushed back. A lot of albums were pushed back for different reasons. Uh, that Oliver Tree album was supposed to come out, I want to say, early June, but it didn't come out until July because of the George Floyd incident that happened. Um, so there was a lot of different things that happened in 2020, but a lot of great music still came out. And I got to tell you, Sean, you have an incredible street team in Greg. He uh, he really literally would not shut up about your album. <laughs> I do listen to it a lot because not only do I like it and my best friend is in it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been around Grey Day's music since the early 90s. Um, I was so excited when Chester told Sean, let's get the band back together. I was so excited to see them play live again. And then Chester passed away. And I know that Sean went through a time where he didn't know what he wanted to do. But then Sean came to the realization, hey, we're going to finish what we started because that's what Chester would want to do. And um, I've seen this thing from, you know, them just writing the music and getting working with different producers and watching this ball roll. Then labels were fighting over it and then it was signed and then it was put out. And it's just amazing, even on YouTube, when you get to see these songs. And if you can listen to the song, how it was in 97 or 95 and then listen to what it is today, you'll see the growth. You'll see how really the hard work that was put into this album. And if we're talking about the top albums of 2020, my number one this week is Grey Day's Amends. And I just got a front row seat to watching this whole thing be made. American songwriter, uh, looks like audio, ink, radio, uh, just Kerrang, all naming this album one of the best of 2020. And uh, if you haven't heard Amends, listen to it. You're going to enjoy it. It's nonstop. It's uh, every song to me is one you're not going to skip over. They all have that emotional honesty. They all are re uh, relevant. And I can't wait to hear more music from Great Days and you, Sean. Thank you so much. I mean, I, that, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you. And I'm just going through here right now. You know how many people have named this album one of the top albums of 2020? I don't. How many? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Greg. <laughs> I'm just sitting here going through. It looks like uh, you got Consequence of Sound. You got Kerrang. Metal Sucks. That's a good name. Uh, Audio Inc. Radio. And American Songwriter just off the top of a list right I, now that I'm yeah. looking at. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's... that's uh... I'm, I'm humbled to hear that. That's, that's great. And quite honestly, you know, we did our best and we just tried, tried to make um, the best album we could. And, you know, it doesn't hurt having a singer as good as Chester. So I'm, I'm honored that you think of us that highly, Greg. Thank you. Now what's your top album off of men's or the top song for you? What's what, what's the one that when you listen to it, you just stop in your tracks off of our record. Yeah. There's, I mean, I'm emotionally attached to every single song, but uh, I would say, you know, the syndrome is very special. Moray Sky is one that makes mm -hmm. me feel every time I hear it. 
just like heroin. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly biased. So well, me too. And I would have to say, okay, you can be. Yeah. Well, you know, Maury <laughs> sky and just like heroin are the two, but I mean, all of them, like I, I, I just, I just sit here in front of my computer sometimes on YouTube and just click and click and click. And I remember when the album first came out, there was 1400, you know, views, and then there was 2,800 and then 58,000. And now you're up to millions. And that's just, it, it's so cool to see. Finally, it's so cool to see. Thank and you. Do, you. do you feel Sean that you improved on all the tracks as they originally were? Oh yeah. Or, or I wouldn't have put them out. Yeah. Um, so that was some of the arguments we would have um, in the studio is we were working with different producers and some of the songs we have literally five different versions of each song. Wow. And a couple of them, just none of them beat the original version. So what's in the eye is, is, is a good example of that. We had some really cool versions of that song, but none of them were better than the original. So we just went back and redid the song the way it originally was hmm. you know, some minor changes, but, but basically it stayed about 95% the same as what it was. So there's a couple songs that were that way, but if it did, if it wasn't improved, we just went back to the way it was. Amazing. Now, did you guys ever just sit around in the studio and, and reflect and say, um, Hey, you know, we owe everything to Greg. <laughs> no, they never did that. I can answer that for him. Not one second. They were like, Greg, you're here. Awesome. All right, let's go eat. Boom. Let's go. I'm one of those guys. I'm an inclusive type of guy. So I love to give credit for the things that people do around me. And I'm, I'm a big cheerleader of my friends. Um, so Greg gets a lot of credit and a lot of love from all of us in the band and he understands his importance. He would never want to pat himself on the back. I have to remind him of the stuff he did for us uh, quite often. And he tends to want to take a, a back seat to um, where and how things happen. And I don't think, I think he understates his importance of the, at least the, the, the greater Phoenix local music scene all throughout yeah. the nineties. He had a large hand in, a lot of those bands success like the refreshments and the funk junkies and um and gray days and and jimmy eat world and you know there's there's really not a lot of people that were giving bands a, an opportunity uh to not only be heard but but to be a part of of the music scene and he was one of the few people that actually did that and wasn't just showing up to work punching a clock going oh god i have to listen to this crappy local band because believe me <laughs> There were plenty of those too, but he always did it with such uh, humility and was always rooting for, for bands to get better. So I got to give Greg a, a big round of applause when it comes to the things that he meant to a lot of, a lot of bands. He probably doesn't understand that he meant a lot to, to a lot of the young musicians in the, in the Valley. Hey, I think he, he deserves a round of applause. <laughs> Thanks there dad. We there and we the go. Listener too. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, all kidding aside, Greg was very excited about this release and he absolutely championed it. And the months leading to it coming out, he was just so enthusiastic about it and telling us how, and you guys have to hear it when it comes out. So, well, thank you. And thank you, Greg, for supporting us the way you have. So for so long, you are welcome. So there you go. And Sean, thank you so much for joining us this week. I wanted to say that uh, my brother, I love you. And uh, thank you for taking time and being on this podcast this week. Well, I love you too, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And this was a lot of fun. I'll come on another time, I hope. 
please do. Yeah. We, we appreciate you being a guest lad this week. It was a lot of fun. And, and I do play an instrument, so I'm hoping to be gray days number 767. (laughs) (laughs) And to all of you out there listening, thanks for making the inaugural year of O3L a special one for us. And 2021 will be bigger, brighter, and better for us. And I sure as heck hope that it is the same for you. Happy New Year's from Only Three Lads. And of course, be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.